Abba Yahweh, the opportunity again comes that you've given to me to share the gospel, the good news that comes from your word, Father God. The opportunity to be a conduit, to pour out your blessings to anyone else that is willing to listen to the message, not only hearing the words, but listen to the message and seek after you, Father God. To pray Christ into their lives, faith in you, Father, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, it shall be done and made so. You tell us that. So, being roused up to spend time, uh, a little different this morning, um, but here's here's some things that have been going through my head, and I, I shared this with you. I love this. Um, the fact that we really need, we desperately need to pay attention to God speaking to us, even more so today, and and these things that are going on in the world around us today, and. Um, don't follow after the doom and gloomers and what they're talking about um, because they really portray it to be something much worse than what it is, the reality being. Um, you know, yeah, I speak some negativity and you'll hear some things that come about that. But the positive about it is that it's God's agenda, the agenda of the word of God and his truth and not that of the politicians and not that of everybody that wants... Uh, destruction and lava flowing and all that stuff. Well, there's things that I've told you that we have been uh, told by the prophets in the Bible themselves. Christ himself told us that it's going to be worse for us before he returns. <clears throat> it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that's actually an old saying that came uh, a long time ago, and I remember hearing it growing up and that, that aunts and uncles and the old folks are around, well, you know, it's liable just to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. They always hold like the, oh, the steadfast thing, even, even when they would talk like that, <clears throat> the steadfast and the same thing over and over and over again, but it's going to get better, but it's going to get better, but it's going to get better. So to those doom and gloomers and the naysayers and all that other garbage that comes spewing out, and even those that claim to be Christians that want to spew that negative, how is it doom and gloom when we're talking about the return of Christ our King, who is coming back as the Lion of Judah, and he is not the sacrificial lamb? He came as that, and John said, Standing in the midst of the Jordan River, he looked up and Jesus was fulfilling the cultural aspect of his walk. <clears throat> Pardon me. But he came to fulfill that in being baptized by water. And John looked up. And Philip and Andrew were standing there when he said this. Behold the Lamb of God whose sandals I am not fit to latch. 
And then after he baptized Jesus with the water, what happened? The Holy Spirit came and rested upon him and said, and the voice came from heaven. And there were those that were in spiritual hearing and around that heard it. And there were others that heard a rumbling of thunder. They just heard noise. But the voice of our heavenly father came and said, behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him and obey. There was a twofold statement there, twofold command from God. Listen, obey. And this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, knowing full well that everything that was going to happen in his walk. But here is the million-dollar question that comes from that scripture and from that statement and illustration. And that is, how is it that making time for God is so difficult? That's a, that is indeed a million-dollar question. And I'm not talking about just prayer time, study time, going to church. I'm talking about everything that we are supposed to be doing as Christians, true believers and Christians of Christ, from Christ the things that we're to do. Are you looking for your day planner full of things that you do for the church so people notice you and see that you're so busy with the church and they're so laudatory about everything that you're doing? Is that what you're doing it for? Or are you doing it truly for God? If you were truly doing it for God, first of all, let me share this with you. If you're overfilling your day planner that you gripe and grumble about all the things you do, even if it's for the church, well, I got to get this done for the pastor. I got to do this for Elder Bob. I got to do this for uh, Sister Jan. I got to do this for Sister Jane. I got to do this and this and this and this. And I just don't have time. I got to get this done. And it's got to be done before Sermon Sunday. And you're in conversation with somebody on Wednesday. And yet that day planner sheet that you just read through was five days worth of things that you were supposed to have accomplished before Sunday. Whew. So it's not just about prayer time, study time, worship. It's about servitude. And then, of course, there are going to be those that are going to, whoa, servitude. Yeah. 
And is that filling up the day planner filled with all these things that you got to get accomplished for the church or for the pastor, for the elders and everybody else in order to get something done in order to get what? In order to get what? What are you looking for? Are you looking for validation from God? Look what I look at all these things that I've done, Lord. You remember what Christ teaches us? What does Christ teach us about those that bond themselves in public places and in the synagogue as he compared the woman that came, the poor woman that dropped in two mites, which is all she had? And then you had the uh, rich guy or the, the uh, well, actually it was a Pharisee that came in. And as I shared with you, they had the big box with the trumpets on it. The, the big, uh, it was like an old Vicarola record player. So that the sound of the coins that they dropped in was loud and echoed through. And everyone could hear what was being put in the coin box. And they, they could almost count the coins that were going in and made it a big production. And then would stand in front of the coin box before putting in, blah, 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 and echoing all that garbage out so that people would have their attention drawn to them. And then they'd put the coins in. And this poor lowly woman, she came up quiet, looking around, and then she dropped in two, just dropped in two mites. That's all she had. And then, of course, a question came from Christ. Who was greater? Who received greater blessing? And there are some silly folks that would say, because they are of the same ilk. Oh, that God that put in all that money. Of course he was. And look, he was so prayerful before he did. Sure, draw attention to yourself. Draw attention to yourself before you make a big production about giving to the church and putting in your offering. Make a grand production of it. Toot your horn. Toot your own horn. Hey, what, what's Grandpa? What was that? Was it Grandpa or was that uh, Uncle George? Anyway, one of my older relatives, and my, my earthly father used to say it on occasion, um, are you tooting your own horn? Are you making that production... And and that's like the, uh, some of you younger folks wouldn't even know what I'm talking about, but, um, and there's actually those buskers that are out on the street that do it today, that uh, everything has been elevated now, it's electronic, and you have the loopers, and you have all that stuff. But back in the days when I was younger, they had these things called one-man bands. They were a little different <laughs> than what they are today. Um... They had they wore a bass drum on their either on their back or their front, and depending on how the guy was and when they walked and they stepped, they would either pull a rope that clanged cymbals, and then there was the harmonica, and sometimes the fellow would have a guitar in his hand or a banjo, and it would change differently. But as he walked and moved, he could play music. It was a bit Sometimes it wasn't really musical, but he was doing the best he could. But drawing attention to himself. Drawing attention to himself. And you say, well, wait a second. How is that? It's a similitude, okay? It, it's similar, but different. 
So you're doing it to draw attention to yourself, just like these people that put in this day planner, they make this big production about everything that they're doing. And even in the days when they can't get it accomplished and they sit there on that Wednesday, they're griping loudly to anyone that's listening to them about all that they're doing for the church and can't get it done. Griping about everything that they've got on their plate that they got to get done for the church, but they can't get it accomplished. Wait a second, hold up, back up, beep, 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 beep. There's the backup horn going. Who put all that on your plate? Did somebody come and tell you, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this and this and this and this and this? It wasn't done that way because I've seen this accomplished in churches and this is how they do. Then they'll come up and they'll make a mention of it. Sometimes they'll come up directly to you to get you to volunteer because they know that you will or they will just be within earshot and be mentioning it because they know that you're going to respond. That's not Christ-like and that's not good stewardship of fellowship. That's a form of usury. And it's unfortunate, but it happens, and it's truth. It is truth. But again, back to this thing. Is that servitude? No, that's not true servitude. And what am I talking about, servitude? Well, we can see specifically that Christ talks about this, and I think a very good um, would be Mark 10. And actually, you read that in its entirety because it breaks down in several different sections <clears throat> that I'm going to share with you. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm sorry about that. Got a Sorry. But it speaks to this, and... Um, what we have to do is looking around us today in the in today's church and in the body, we have to look for the opportunities in the body of Christ for promotional opportunities, but those given of him and not of man or mammon. Because when you look for it yourself in Christ Jesus, just like the he did with the Pharisee that was in the church and the old woman and her two mites. And you have the Pharisee that's out in the street, bobbing and weaving out in the middle of the marketplace, praying loudly to draw attention to himself, to get everybody that's going through the marketplace to look at him. Oh, look at me. I'm praying to God. I'm worshiping God. Look at me praying and worshiping to God. Look at me in my robes and my head covering and hear me praying to God. Are you praying to God? Look at me. I'm praying to God. Hear me praying to God. Yada, 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 yada. Is he answering that million dollar question? And then my question is, how is that making time for God? Did he sacrifice anything to do that? No. Walking around in the robes, everybody moves out of the way and don't touch him because if you touch him, you're going to make him unclean and then they're going to get mad. And how do you know that they're going to get mad? Because they tell you they will. These religious leaders that Christ used to admonish for what they were doing because they were not in servitude to God. Because in servitude to God, what does the Bible tell us? And we go to Mark and we share this and we can find that in Mark 10. 
and 44 specifically. I'm flipping over there. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant to all. Was that religious elder bobbing in a weaving and ducking and all that stuff that he was doing, weaving and banding back and forth and making this loud oblation? Was he serving anyone? Well, certainly he was himself because that's all he was interested in. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at what I'm doing wasn't doing anything for God. So what we're reminded of is that we have to look out and search, look out for and search for the lowliest and become lower than them in servitude to them. And in my reading this morning, and, and, the, <laughs> and this is where it becomes very difficult for us, there's no person too small, too smelly, too ugly, or too sick or handicapped for you to serve in Christ's kingdom. If you are spiritually ambitious enough, well, what does that mean? Well, do you wish to be someone of import in the kingdom of heaven? if that's what you desire to be, but the point is real and most relevant is that that's not what you seek. What you should seek is just to be about our Father's business and do so in a like manner, being of Christ and from Christ, because he's the one that taught us how to do it. paying attention and watching Christ. Did Christ stand back from the leopard and say, hold on, hold on, hold on, I'll hear you from there. Don't, 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 don't. He didn't fall into that thing that everyone else used to do. They used to run and cover up their mouth and believing that if they breathe the same air as a leopard that they would get leprosy. Well, see, that's purely ignorance. Because that's not how it happens. But anyway, Set that aside and focus on the point. The point is that Christ never turned anyone away. It didn't matter what they were. And you understand this too. You have to, you have to understand this when it talks about the smelly part. That lepers were cast out. They couldn't wash their clothes. They couldn't come anywhere near where any other citizens were. They had to be a certain distance away and they used to actually have to make announcement if they were coming through and they thought that there were people around, they had to announce themselves. And then they had to stay a certain distance. So quite often they were not allowed to bathe where anyone was bathing. They couldn't bathe. They couldn't launder. Do you not suppose that leopards on occasions and most occasions, unfortunately, because of their alienation and ostracism by everybody else, that they were kind of stinky. Not only to mention that those that had real bad lesions and sores, that, that those themselves became 
kind of odiferous. They became stinky because of the infections. Did Christ shun away or shy away from any of them? Did he shun them? No. Did he shy away from them? No. Instead, Christ walked up to, and on several occasions, he embraced them. And they were fearful that he would condemn them and send them away. And he said, I shall not. And he embraced them and he prayed for them, just like in the case with the 10 lepers. And he only had one that came back. And Christ, in speaking of that situation, he made a point that only the Samaritan, the only one that came back was the one that the religious leaders said was the one that was unclean. But he was the only one that came back from the 10. There were 10, you had nine Jews and you had one Samaritan, one who was outcast and alienated and set aside from those religious leaders that had ignored and completely set themselves apart from the people. <coughs> Pardon me. And this is the thing that agitated our Lord so much. So this one, who was by all accounts the, from the religious leaders of the time, unclean and not fit to come near anyone and not fit to come to the city of Jerusalem and not fit to come to the temple and worship God because he was a Samaritan. He was a half-breed. He was not a full blood and therefore not able to come. And who decided that? The religious leaders. And this is the thing that people miss out on too. Starting to get a little carried away, can you tell? And that there are folks to this day that confuse Christianity and religion. Jesus Christ detested religion, and that is in the scripture, and you will read the word and not only hear what I'm saying, but listen to the message. He detested it, why? Because religions cast God as a symbol, and they would hold him in a box and only allow him to come out when it was convenient to do so. And this has to do with making time for God. And why is it so difficult? Because as a Christian, a true Christian, you would have him around you all the time. You would be expressing the love of Christ all the time. You would be reflecting outwardly what he put in you. And religions have a difficult time in doing that. This is why Christ used to, was so adamant about that. And so many people get so confused today when you hear that, they say, oh, that's not true. That's not, oh, yes, it is. It's very true. And when they ask me, and I have had people ask this, and some people that know me, they stop asking because they know what my answer is going to be already. They say, well, what religion are you? I said, well, I don't, I, I don't have one. And they were saying, well, aren't you Christian? And I said, well, I'm a disciple of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ is my Lord, my King and Savior, and I do what the Bible tells me, and I do what he teaches me to do. So if you have to attach a label to it, I said, yes, I am a Christian, but I'm a true Christian. They, they look at me, they get puzzled, and that affords me the opportunity. Now I've got my foot in the door, and so now we, they ask questions, and I start sharing with them. But by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I share only truth. I don't lie to them. I don't manipulate them. I don't manipulate the truth and I don't bend the truth because there is no such thing. And I don't change it to their truth and my truth. I tell them the truth. 
And as my Lord Christ Jesus tells me, I let my yeas be yeas and my nays be nays. Very simple. But folks have a hard time in doing this. And in servitude, they have a hard time in dealing with this. And in servitude, we have to examine ourselves. Is there anyone that you're, you're going to dislike having to do for? When you look around and you have those that they don't, uh, maybe they don't dress the same as everybody else. And they might look a little disheveled and their jeans are dirty, their shoes are dirty, or they might even have a little stench to them. because they don't have an opportunity to bathe? And are you practicing that pharisaical attitude of judgment before you even know somebody? Before you decide that they're unclean or unworthy? And who are you to make that determination? Because everywhere through God's word, we are told that we do not have that authority. The authority that we do have that Christ Jesus, our King and Lord, gave to us, we find in Luke. And he gave us the authority to step on the heads of serpents and the scorpions and to face down the power of the enemy himself and come to no harm. That is the authority that we do have. But do not confuse that and attempt to usurp the sovereignty of Lord God Almighty. What does that mean? That means that because you decide who you're going to forgive and who you're going to serve in the body of Christ and who you're going to be closer to while you do all this, you are essentially taking that sovereignty from God who sits on the throne and who decides that, you are usurping his authority and you are putting yourself in that position, which you need to be very careful in doing because you're on the edge of a very slippery slope when you start making decisions instead of getting guidance from the Holy Spirit and you ask for that guidance and instead you make the decision. That is what it means to usurp the sovereignty and authority of God, that you are putting yourself in that position instead of God sitting on the throne and making the decision. And that, my brothers and sisters, is how we serve God in true servitude. And just like the Bible tells us, <clears throat> pardon me. And the question is, do you still see yourself above individuals or better than the other individuals? Uh, do you know what their background in our society is? Oh, they used to be in prison or they're in prison. Um, so how do you know everything about them? How does it put you in a position of judgment? And remember the scriptures remind us, judge not lest ye be judged. Because again, that is not your authority to do. And when it tells us that we need to forgive, and I, I have to challenge myself to this because there's times where I, I hold on to that issue of, am I going to forgive them? I, I've got an attitude and I have to rebuke that and then repent of that because brothers and sisters, you have to, you have to be forgiving of everyone. You cannot reserve forgiveness for only certain individuals because then again, you are usurping the sovereignty and authority of God, our Father, and you are taking that 
upon yourself. And that we don't have authority to do. And it makes it very, very slippery when you start going in that direction. So we cannot judge anyone. And just because a person ended up in jail or even goes to prison, and you really have to know this as well as I do, I, there were, let's just, let's just leave it there, that you have seen, not only in programming, but you have seen actual cases and some of them even televised and made to be this huge production because it was a, such a media circus. And how is it possible that a person even got a truly fair trial? Because everything that was put out in the media. And so, of course, the media always tells the truth, don't they? Or you always find the truth on the internet, don't you? Yeah, right. So how are you going to determine what their social status or what their background is or how they even got into that situation and based on what you saw and in some cases I have witnessed, I mean up close and personal, things where people have been convicted on strictly, totally circumstantial evidence and then two or three years later, the person is found to be innocent because the real evidence came up to the real person who was guilty. Somebody very close to that same person and able to manipulate things to make it appear that that person was guilty, but they were actually not. They were innocent. And that happens more frequently than you realize. But so now are we determining what their social status should be or was? Or how about their financial status? Do you know everything about them? Do you know everything? No. And there was, I'm going to share this with you really quick and, and keep going. Um, there was a woman in our neighborhood and we used to see her going around. She always wore this really nice herringbone. It was a heavy herringbone wool coat. It was a beautiful coat actually. And, and But it was always clean. Her hair was always kept. But she always went through the neighborhood and she was pushing around a shopping cart. And it was always full of bottles. See, back in those days, um, beverages and things were in bottles. And uh, not so many cans. Cans started coming around uh, later on. But pushing around bottles and you could take them in. They always had a deposit on them and you could always take them to recycle and it was done. Sadly, that doesn't happen so much anymore. They're recyclable items, but I see more plastic and garbage thrown out on the street and everywhere. So let me not get into that. So this woman would walk around and it was very easy for folks to judge her. But in retrospect, and actually even as I got to be older and recognized, she was always kept up. Somebody was caring for her, but she wandered around as if she was homeless. And a lot of people thought she was. And this was, see, back in the days, you didn't have homeless like we have today. Sometimes things would happen. You had hobos, and those were not all bad guys. Those were just the guys that jumped the freight trains or got to a location where they ran the train. And they didn't come up into public areas so much. And they... They lived that way because society had dumped on them so much they just gave up on society. 
and they lived their way. Some of them were really nice people. Some not so. But this woman wandered around and people started getting a notion, oh, she was this and she was that. They started making up stories, but they didn't know her. Well, my mother, I love my earthly mother. She was of a different kind. And she got to come out and talk to, she opened the door. She, she, she watched for her, actually. She was spying. And when she saw her coming by, she opened the front door and she stepped out and she invited her into our house. And the woman was very afraid at first, but then my mom did something that she loved herself anyway. But she said, would you like some tea? Oh my goodness, it was like hitting a light switch inside this woman. Her face lit up and she just kind of nodded her head. So my mom invited her into the house. <clears throat> and as it turns out, this woman that everyone had determined was just some homeless wretch um, and later on found out to be true. Um, this woman, not that part of it, but the part that my mother found out about, my earthly mother found out about, was that this woman was actually quite wealthy. And as it turned out, she was a multi-millionaire. And she was always well-kept because there was a caregiver that had her in her home <clears throat> and was caring for her, would set her hair and do her laundry and all this stuff and take care of her. And I'm quite certain that she was probably being had a quite a decent allowance to do so. Um, that's okay. But I mean, this woman was cared for. She was fed. She was bathed. She was taken care of. And she was doing her best. And this is before they had they had hospice and all this stuff. They, a lot of the things I'm talking about and I share about are when I was a younger child. They didn't have the things that they have nowadays. Nowadays, of course, you can just put any part of your family in a home and, and just put them away, which sadly people will do. So they determined that this woman's, her social status and her financial situation, everything about her was bad. But the truth be told, that she was actually a very kind woman. She loved a hot cup of tea and she liked it the way the English drink it and just a light bit of milk. Just to blonde it a little bit, as my earthly mother used to call it, blonding her tea or blonding her coffee. And so if you decide that those people are not good enough for you to get them, and then as Jesus pointed out, you're not going to be very chief in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. You are not willing to be a servant to everyone. And you remember that this is also reflected in the scriptures when Christ is attempting to wash the feet of the disciples. And what did Peter do? Peter says, no, 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 no. And then what did Jesus tell him? Jesus gave him a gentle rebuke and says, Peter, Peter, Peter. If you do not allow this, then you have no part in me. For I came to serve and not to be served. And Jesus repeats this in several locations in the Bible and the scriptures that talk about him. He came to serve and not to be served. And he came to be a servant to all. All of us 
So, the question is, this, and this is what it has to do with serving, making time for God, and why is it so difficult? And it's, and again, that's the million dollar question. And that just isn't in like being here as I'm doing, sharing the word of God and being in his, and doing his business and reading the Bible and doing Bible study and sharing with y'all. That's, that in part is making time for God and prayer and all these things. But making time for God is in our daily walk are we making time for him by serving someone else in what we're told we need to do? Everything, every aspect of our life, every aspect of our walk, and the Holy Spirit is really pouring this into me, really coming at me. And, and I think maybe because I need to be doing it more, I, I like to think that I am, but I may not be. So I have to question it in myself. Am I doing enough? And I have to pray about it. And that's what every one of us needs to do. We need to pray about it and ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit because that's where the true answer comes from. Not from asking man or mammon because they're gonna tell you their aspect. They're gonna try to give you an earthly commentation. And this is why you have to be very cautious. You have to pray the Spirit. And as John tells us in 1 John 4, 1, it tells us to pray the Spirit in all things. And... Not because, as the scripture will say, and and you have to you have to be able to differentiate here. There's some people that will do willful deceit and willfully steer you wrong, but there are some that they have good intentions. Just like I shared with you, that um, these individuals sharing about the self help gurus and trying, you know, when they notice that a brother or sister is having a little difficulty, say, oh, I know someone that can help you with this. They're blah, 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 blah. But, and they're a self-help uh, counselor and they're, they're Christian. Well, their intention is good, but they're not really paying attention. Why? Because they're young in their servitude toward God and they're young Christians themselves and they're, they haven't matured in the word and possibly not even reading certain parts of the Bible, but it tells us that those individuals, they, in, their intention is good, well-meaning. However, as I shared with you, and I will share with you as often as I need to, that these self-help gurus are teaching contrary to biblical teaching. And if they are claiming to be a Christian and knowing that what they're teaching, because if they are a true believer, they know already that what they're teaching is contrary to the word of God. Because it's supposed to be Christ-centered, God-centered, faith in God, not in the guru, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, not in the guru. So if they're teaching that, then they are a liar and an intentional deceiver, and you need to flee them and flee them as fast as you can. And the scripture actually tells you, flee, flee from those. So get away and pray for guidance. And instead of going to a self-help guru and all these all these counseling things, and I'm reading through some of this stuff and I'm seeing this is, is becoming very disturbing to me actually. And there's all these things that are being suggested to go and pay somebody to uh, 
counsel you and to help you and to do all these things and, and to take this. And basically all that they're doing is they're just uh, sending you off to a worldly commentator. And that person is somebody who doesn't necessarily even believe the word of God or may not even be a Christian in truth, but claiming to be affiliated with certain churches, but they don't speak truth. Brothers and sisters, we are here, and you remember that we're supposed to serve everyone, but these people are self-serving. And they will convince you to become part of what they are portraying, but you have to pay for it. Remember this and hear me when I share this with you. Every single thing that God offers, gifts that he offers, and he wants you, is free. You have a choice. Now, God asks, it's a, a commandment actually, but he's also very lenient with, with this. Is your tithing is 10%. The first 10% of whatever you have. You hear what I just said? On whatever you have. So if you don't have my, And here's where a lot of people really get agitated. But the ones that I find that are most agitated are the ones that have the most. Just like this young man that, that Christ talked about in the book of Mark again. And when... Um, and I'll get back to, to the point here in a minute. But I got to digress and jump over here to this because it's important. And this is when Jesus was was uh, Jesus was teaching in and around the synagogue, and and children were were coming, and and um, when they were bringing children, so that that Jesus would touch them and pray over them, and the disciples tried to to get them to go back and to block the children away from him. And Jesus saw what they were doing, and actually he was very displeased by that, and he rebuked them. Yeah, gently rebuked them. He said to them, Suffer the little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And remember, I shared this with you before. You have to be like that child. And why is that? Because the misconception that so many people have is that children are born into sin. No, they are not. They are born into a sinful world, but children are born without guile. Why is that? Because God sends them. They come from God, first of all. And that they come without sin. They are taught to sin. That's a fact. It's in the scripture. And be as argumentative as you want, that's fine but I'm not gonna deal this with you. My validation comes from a much higher authority. But here's the fact. Children are born with no guile. They are taught to lie, cheat, steal, break. And they're taught that either by older children or sadly by adults that are not doing that thing in teaching children in the way they should go. Instead, they're teaching falsely and they're teaching them to be full of guile. That's truth. So when Jesus was done teaching out there and he got done with his, with 
sharing that. Um, in verse 16, and he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. And when he was gone at forth out into the way, there came one running and he kneeled before him and said, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit any recited those to him. And then further as we go, uh, we jump to verse 20. And he answered and said unto him, master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now, here comes the important thing, and here's where it comes into serving God, part of it. And how it becomes very difficult in making time for God, and part of that is this. And he answered and said unto him, as all have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And he said to him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor. And then thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up thy cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying. And he went away grieved for he had great possessions. And then later in verse 27. Or verse 25, I'm sorry. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them all saith with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So, in making time for God, this young man was told that he had to go and, and sell everything that he had. And then make that a sacrifice and then come and follow Jesus. And the saying that Jesus shared was, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into him. Why is that? Because all these worldly possessions, <clears throat> pardon me, because they have become the God of their life. Mammon has infiltrated and become their God. Man and mammon has become more important. Having this, having that, driving this, driving that. And this is why in the scripture we are told that God is a respecter of no man or woman because he doesn't care what you have or what you don't have. He doesn't care about any of that. And as Christ demonstrated to us, it doesn't matter what they smell like, what they dress like, and, you know, are they hygienically clean or not? None of that matters. What matters is to serve them because that's serving God. And many, many, many those that have great money, they are the ones that complain loudest and most often about tithing to God, tithing, giving tithes and offerings to God. They more often will make a big production about giving an offering. They want everyone to see them going to the offering box and that production, but they don't give according to what the scripture tells us. And let's do a little quick math here. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
before I close off this and <laughs> go to getting carried away again. So let's do a little quick math. 10%. What's 10% of a dollar? 10 cents. So if you only make a dollar a day, <clears throat> and there are some homeless folks, and they go out there and they do that, and they'll be uh, begging for help all day long, and some of them, they make $10 in a day. So what God asks of them, if they have God in their heart and they're looking to serve God and, and do that, that they, whatever they can, then they put a dollar to God. 10%. So if you make $100, what's 10%? $10. If you make $1,000, 10% is $100. So if you make $1,000 a day, $100, then you just put, you tied to the church $400 in a month. Wow. But you your net or your take home is $4,000 a month and you give to the church $400 a month. And as you can to do more, then you put more in. But that's all that God asks you to do. And here's a practice that I, that I make a practice of. And yeah, I'm gonna pull a Paul on you because this is what God asked me to do and tells me to do. So even on my limited income, because I'm, I've shared with you before, and it's not a great big deal. I try not to make it a big deal. On occasion, I have to uh, I have to really pray through some of the things that I'm going. I go through, but I don't work as I used to work, and was thinking actually had the notion in my head that I would be working up until the time that God told me it was time to go. Um, now I'm in His business. I'm not working as I was, so. My income is much more slack than what it used to be. But here's the practice. I always make sure that the first 10%, always make sure that what I take out before before bill paying, before any of that, I always take and give and tithe first. I always, I want to honor my God with what he told me to do. And I still think that there's more that I can do. There's always more that we can do. But here's the thing. And understand this. Understand it truthfully because this is something that is just truth. God has more faith in us than we have in him. Isn't that's that's pretty sad actually. It's pretty pathetic. But it's true. God has more faith in us than we have in him. Wow. And why is that? Because he loves us. He's our heavenly father. And he knows what our shortcomings are. He knows the scars and bruises that we have. And yet, and yet, he still calls us. He still loves us. He still forgives us. He still has need for us to be in his business and he does not diminish us by what we have had 
what we were. None of that matters. What matters to God, and remember, I've shared this many times with you, and I'll share it many more times. God is a respecter of no man or no woman. What you possessed, what you possess, and what you are in your heart is the only thing that matters. He respects nothing of what you have or don't have. He doesn't care what you wear. He doesn't care if you wear Armani. He doesn't wear if you wear Jordache. He doesn't care if you wear Wrangler. And he doesn't care if you wear Levi's. None of those things matter. And he doesn't care if you get your jeans from Walmart. He doesn't care. And if your tennies have holes in it, he doesn't care. He doesn't matter to him. None of that matters. What matters is the character of your heart. Truthfully, holy, that's all that matters. So when you come to serve God, and this is, again, this goes back to that million-dollar question. How is it that making time for God is so difficult? And that's not, again, that is in every aspect of what, how we walk. Making time for God is making time for anyone else that needs you to do so. And even in my breakdown, what I am, when I have folks that, that ask me and I start praying, then my answer, of course, and I have to be cautious about this. because, And the reason I have is because of physicality. My immediate response is, of course, yes, yes, yes. But I have to be careful. And those people that ask me, they're actually more cautious with me than I am. Thank you, Father God, for this, for them. Thank you for their hearts. They know that I am unable, but they also know that I want to. And they ask and they know that I will. And again, I ask, most often they always ask these things that are way far out distance. And I share with them, my response is always, Lord willing. And that's because tomorrow is not promised. It's not. But what I do know is that my forever is promised. Tomorrow here in this plane of existence, not promised. Our lives are but a mist. We are shared that's in the Bible. It is but a mist. But my eternal tomorrow my forever is assured by my salvation, by the promises of God, blessed assurance. And remember, don't forget that assurance is much different than insurance. What God gives is free. What he offers is free. This is what is so disturbing to Satan and why he works so hard and that we are in a real true spiritual warfare. We are told that and reminded of that. So anyone that gets apologetic for sharing that, and I've heard individuals that are supposed to be in the body of Christ, they get apologetic for sharing about the armor of God because, oh, that's that, I'm sorry, that's so militaristic. Well, what do you, you're apologizing, first of all, for the gospel of, of the word of God, the good news and the truth of God. You're apologizing for that. And in the Bible, it tells us that we are in a spiritual warfare. In the Bible, it tells us that the armor of God is created by God for us. And you're going to apologize for that? 
Shame on you. Repent. Repent because you're sharing the truth. Don't apologize for the truth. Don't ever apologize for the truth. I won't. If you're offended by it, then that's on you. That's not on me. I'm going to share the truth and only the truth. And the armor of God is made by God, our Heavenly Father. And we are told that we are in a spiritual warfare. And Satan is really working hard at taking that away from us. And what is that? Our gift that God gives to us free in order to come to the kingdom of heaven. And you have to remember that that really angers him. He used to live there. And he's so angry because he wanted to sit on the throne. And he wanted to be as God. That didn't work out. And what, remember what Christ tells us in the book of Luke, Luke 10. I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Jesus was there. He saw it happen. He was with God. And he saw Satan go away. Satan has an issue because he doesn't want us to have what he had. And he will do whatever is necessary to keep us from that. And those individuals that are apologetic for the scriptures and apologetic for the gospel, apologetic for the truth and talking about all this stuff, they even apologize for um, when they share about Ezekiel and, and the word army comes up. They apologize for using that because, oh, that's so militaristic. That's a baloney. The truth is that the word army just denotes a size. It has nothing to do with the military. But because of what man and mammon have decided is that that has to do with militaristic attitude or militaristic, it's got nothing to do with that. It has to do with the size of a collection of people or things. You have army ants because whenever they move, they move with this huge, massive number. And when they go marching through the jungle and they're moving their nest, what do you find? You find this huge wide path that is munched and chewed down and anything that falls wounded in their path gets devoured in a matter of moments. And it's because there's just so many of them. They travel and take a chomp, travel and take a chomp, and then you got more that come along, they do the same thing. And you have things that are picked bone, clean to the bone in just a matter of moments through this huge number of ants that move. And they call them, they call them army ants. And it has nothing to do with their militaristic attitude. It has to do with the sheer number that move when they do. And when it's talking about in the book of Ezekiel, we share and see in the Ezekiel 37, when Ezekiel is called the prophesy to the valley of the dry bones, and the term comes and a great army step. It's talking about the entire population of the nation of Israel that had given up hope. And Ezekiel was to prophesy to them as given Rema by God and he gave to them. Think about these things, brothers and sisters. You're in my prayers going out and coming in every single day. Be blessed.